Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to the mentor and welcome to the new year. I'm Mark Boris. My guest today is Taryn Williams. After working in the modeling, advertising, and media industry as a model and producer since a very early age, Taryn was frustrated by the inefficiencies and to some extent the unfairness of working conditions for models with late payment, a common practice, and jobs few and far between. So basically, cash flow. So at the age of 21, she decided to start her own agency to create positive change in the industry. Taryn founded Wink Models in 2007 with a company policy to pay all models within seven days and include diversity in the representation to the clients. The business was completely bootstrapped and saw fast growth, and Wink now has over 650 talent available nationally for TV commercials, print campaigns, product launches, and events. Taryn quickly realized how important technology was to directly connect creative talent with brands and agencies, so she created her second business, The Right Fit. Now, this is a two-sided marketplace of influencers, models, actors, and photographers on one side, and on the other side, the client. So, anything that a brand needs to bring a creative campaign to life can be done through the Right Fit Marketplace. I'm going to ask Taryn a whole lot of stuff about what influenced her growing up, why did she learn how to think you know, from a different point of view, a little bit unconventionally, what was the influences of her parents, what did she find being given quite a lot of rope growing up as a kid to make decisions and how did that sort of flow into her business life and why was it when she started to challenge these things about unfairness that she actually found a way through it what research has she done what's it like out there on your own taking on the big organizations and what drives her so let's get into it Joan Williams, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to have you back. I mean, I, I seem to remember, I recall that, you may not recall, but I certainly recall uh, having you in our old studios in the old show called The Mark Boris Show many years ago. Yes, back when you were in King's Cross. In King's and... Cross, that's right. And we've <laughs> come a long way now. here we are now. Um, I guess where the best place to start is you've just gone through COVID and you've got a new venture called The Right Fit, which is pretty much supplements the Wink Models business, which we've talked about before. We'll talk about it again today. But I do want to reestablish our position or your position, Taryn, as to who Taryn Williams is. I mean, like, where did you start? I mean, you've had experience as a model, et cetera, but where did you start? And what? Well, I want to get to that point where you made a decision to go into Wink. I want to get to that point as well, why you decided to launch The Right Fit. But I want to give everyone listening to this some background as to who you are and why the hell you do this stuff. I mean, why did you leave modeling? Why did you decide that... Uh, Models weren't getting paid on time. Where, why did you, what did you think 
it was that you could do to change your industry and uh, what is it that makes you want to change things? I mean, not just, you know, the high level stuff, but why are you someone who wants to make changes? So let's go back right back to the beginning. Were you born in Australia? I was. I was yep. born in the Brossa Valley. Um, right. And and then when I was about seven, I moved to Fiji and grew up there. So I went to international school. My parents were working there. And I think they just wanted us to have a relatively unconventional upbringing. So it was an incredible experience. I mean, I went to an international school where I was a minority. I was surrounded by so many different religions and ethnicities and, and people who had lived and traveled all over the world and who had, you know, incredible backgrounds. Um, and so I think that really set me up for success. I think um, it was just such a, an unconventional um, childhood. You know, we didn't have to wear shoes to school. There was no TV. There was no fast food. Um, so it was just a really, really different way to grow up. So why did your parents go to uh, Fiji? They're not but, Fijian, are they? No, they're not. No. Um, my dad was working there. He's an environmental engineer. Um, and then when I was about 14, 15, we moved back to Australia um, to a tiny, tiny little town called Japoon in far north Queensland. And I did my last two years of school there. And again, it couldn't be more different. I mean, it was a really small town, um, very, very different to what I'd become accustomed to. Is your dad a little bit uh, out there in terms of at that period, that time we're talking like 20 odd years ago. So is your dad, is your dad like uh, a little different? I, like- I always say progressive. And, and I think my parents say, God, that makes us sound like we're, you know, crazy hippies or something. No, look, they're just, they're really, um, they're quite well-traveled people. And, um, and they just wanted us to have really different experiences. I think they wanted that's, us to be. That's out there. I mean, that is out there. Yeah. I mean, you know, especially for South Australians. Um, <laughs> true. You know, like, true, uh, and true. you know, like, yeah, they, they, they get up and move the whole, but you, are you the only kid or other? I brothers? have a sister. Okay. Yeah. So they, they picked up you and your sister and they've taken you off to Fuji. That, that is pretty unconventional. Um, and like, you know, environmental engineer, that's pretty out there too. That, I mean, back 20 years ago, today maybe much more popular, but those days was seen as a bit of a hippie. Would have yeah. been seen as a bit of a hippie. Yeah. I mean, are, are they sort of unconventional people? Yeah, look, they certainly, um, they're progressive in their view of the world, I think. What does so that mean, progressive? To me, I mean, they're, they're very well read um, and I think they're considered in, in their approach to the world. So um, I would say they're sort of probably a little bit to the left, Um maybe maybe fiscally a little bit more to the right. But, um, yeah, and I just think that for us as kids, we were just exposed to so many things. They really consciously made a choice to to involve us in adult conversations. We got to choose where we went to school, for example. So um, they would take us to see lots of different schools and say, where do you want to live? You know, you can live in this city and this town, which means that you'll get to go to these kind of cool schools, or if you want to go to that school, you're going to live closer to the beach. So, you know, and we're sort of you know, 12, 13, um, which I think is really cool. You know, I think it, it set me up for success as, a, as an adult um, being involved in those kind of conversations. It, yeah, well, one way of looking at me, like oh, I got kids your age. Um, so uh, going back to that period, if one, if my older son, I would never invite him to do that, um, yeah. say, well, you choose where you want to go. Because back, back at, at my generation, like if you did that, kids could be considered to be precocious. Like, you mm. know, hey, what the hell do you think? Like uh, you t- I'm telling you where you're going to school. You wear what the rest of the kids at the school wear. I get it in Fiji, kids, yeah. no one wears shoes. So, I mean, yeah. I, I remember going over there on rugby tours uh, with my sons and uh, they used to give them their boots because the kids didn't have boots. Yeah. Which, which is pretty crazy because yeah. the kids used to play footy, like play football, kick a football with no boots, boots and play yeah. football with no boots. Yeah. It was mad. No wonder the Fijians are, are pretty good footballers yeah. and so tough. But, um, but I mean, I, on one hand, it, it could be seen as being, um, as you say, a little bit on the left. Clearly, as you just mentioned, there's probably a bit of, um, when it comes to money, there's a little bit of right thinking, but on the left, in terms of, uh, you know, the globe and, uh, mm. you know, how we operate as a, as a global community, um, 
offering to your children to make a decision where they go to school. That sort of develops a child in a certain way. Um, that makes them a bit of a – it can go, go either way. They can be a little shit or they can yeah. um, be someone who tends to think about things and um, sort of unpick things a little bit, think about it. Yeah, but. and I think it also – I look back on it now and, and sort of think it, it made me quite a – not – worried child, but I certainly um, didn't go through school and, and my even my early 20s with this sort of um, really flippant approach to life. I was very considered and very measured because I sort of had all of this experience in making quite adult decisions, which is a, a lovely thing, but also kind of sometimes doesn't allow children just to be carefree. Yeah, and, totally. And, and I think maybe it's one of the reasons that I started my business when I was so young, because I sort of had all of this very adult responsibility growing up and um, yeah, cause I mean, the, exposure. Because, I mean, you've been a model, I get all that, and you understand the industry. That That's cool. That's good experience in terms of being able to work out what does and doesn't work in an industry and therefore, and that allowed you then to attack it. But just, you know, this is a, a podcast, so it's only audio, so no one can really see you, but you are an unusual looking girl. I mean, you know, you're, you're, I think, you know, you're, no, that you're, you're unusual. So, but I remember when I did the podcast with you many years ago, I, what struck me is, was the unusualness of your hairstyle. You know what I mean? I mean, that's, that's, it's a bit of a, you've still got it. It's, you still got the same style, uh, which <laughs> is sort of a, a, a signature, yeah. it's a yeah. signature look for you. Yeah. I mean, is that part of your branding? I mean, do you, you see it as part of your branding and how important do you think for those listening, um, yeah. branding yourself is, I mean, particularly in your industry? Yeah. Look, it was a very conscious decision. So I cut my hair when I stopped modelling, basically. Right. Um, I still, so when you're modelling, you had like I had longer long hair. hair. Uh, obviously, you have to be a lot more diverse and, and be able to you know, achieve a large range of looks for clients. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Having hair like this makes that sort of a little bit more difficult. It, it, but, so, but, it, but it is a little bit of that whole process of when you're a kid, you make, make a decision yeah. as to what you look like. Yeah. You know, like that, and that's – it is an out there decision. Yeah. And for me, it was very much about reclaiming, you know, when you're a model, you are sort of um, at the behest of others. You are there to essentially be a coat hanger and and make things look good or appear in ads and whatever. And so it was kind of, for me, it was about taking a different direction in my career. And it was about, you know, starting the business, reclaiming some of that and saying, this is how I want to look and this is how I want to be. And, and I probably didn't think about the personal branding piece until maybe five years later. Um, and it took someone really explaining to me that you have a personal brand, whether or not you choose to control it. And I'd kind of thought, well, I don't want to invest in, you know, building a personal brand, whatever that means, um, you know, having a very contrived idea of myself or um, something that didn't feel authentic to me. And it wasn't until someone really took me through that and was like, well, people are going to perceive you in a particular way anyway, especially in the days of social media. So control it. So control it. Decide what you want that to be. Decide what you want to stand for and, and decide the, the values that you want people to, to perceive from you um, because you now have these incredible channels to be able to do that and explore that. So... Yeah, and that's probably when I, when I made more of a conscious choice, probably less about how I look but more about what I participate in and, and you know, the causes that I put my name towards. Or, 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 or indeed all of those things. Yeah. So, like, if I let, no, just flip back to when you're a kid and, you're, and with your sister and your mum and dad are there saying to you, well, Taryn, you can work out where you want to go to school and blah, 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 and, you know, like this, these, un mm. well, I would consider them unconventional um, decision-making processes for a young person. Yeah. Um, because ordinarily people of your generation had all the decisions made for them. Yeah. Even today, well, it's probably less so today, but yeah. generally speaking, the, the, the average person in the population has, when they're a kid, have the decisions made for them. This is the school you're going to, this is what you're going to look, yep. and the school then says, this is what you're going to wear. Yeah. And, uh, you know, everything's this sort of very like, much convention. Yeah. 
And uh, But those kids, over time, some may, some may not, but generally speaking, find it hard to actually identify what it is they want to look like in a certain way, conventional or unconventionally. Um, in fact, they probably don't even think about it. And what I'm trying to work out here is um, the decision, for example, just just a small example, I don't want to pick on this, but mm. the way you look, yeah. the way you project yourself, the way you control your brand and your image, yeah. how much of that was? do you think is influenced? So the ability to do that and your recognition to do that was is it goes back to when you're a kid and your mum and dad are sort of saying, you know, why don't you decide where, which school you want to go to? Yeah. I definitely think it had an impact, yeah. And I think the the opportunity that they gave me to explore some of those things, so um, like I got my pilot's licence before I could drive my car, which is ridiculous. You know, I was 15 and I decided I wanted to become a pilot and fly a plane and so I saved up my waitressing money and my parents were like, cool, if that's what you want to do, we will support that and we will let you do that. So just things that parents probably would normally say, well, it seems a little bit rash and why don't you get through school first and before you need to learn how to fly a plane. So generally speaking. I think <laughs> so I think those those ability and that support from them, um, and knowing that, you know, they're incredibly loving, incredibly supportive people. So knowing that I had a safe space to fall back on if if these things that I tried didn't work, um, and that they allowed me to take risk. And I think that that risk appetite is something that has obviously helped me through my career. Yeah. So when you say they allowed you to take risk, um, because make, asking a kid to make a decision, decision what school they want to go to, for example, yep. that has risk associated with it. Do they actually sit down with you and sort of say to you, now, these are the things you need to consider in making this decision or, or do they just put a map out there and say, look, put a pin where you want to go or do they show you what the schools look like? Yeah, do they take you to, to the see, schools? Went, yeah, you do went research? To, yep, went to visit schools, went to look at the houses in that area and get to be, you know understand if you live in this area, this is kind of what it's going to be like. Or if you live in this area and go to this school, this is kind of what it's going to be like. So how do you feel about those and what kind of life do you want? Um, you know, do you want something that's a little bit more relaxed and, and you're going to school in, in this area near a beach or do you want to live in a city and it's going to be a little bit more intense and you're going to be exposed to these kind of things and and what things are important to you? And and so, yeah, we sort of sat down and talked about it as a family and, and that really um, permeated through a lot of the other areas of our lives. So things like going to parties, you know, my parents would say, well, that's completely up to you. You know, you can choose if you want to go to this party on a school night and and what that's going to look like for you is maybe you're not going to do as well at these particular academic areas. So we'll support you either way. That's your choice to make because we're adults and we've had our careers and we're, you know, we've achieved the things that we want to achieve. So this is, you know, really up to you to make that decision as to what your life looks like. So That's a fairly mature sort of um, process as a, growing up as a kid. Like, I don't know, I never didn't mature till I was in my 40s. <laughs> um, I, I'm serious. I didn't. I mean, yeah. I, I probably still not probably maturely. I mean, I don't know. Like, you're, I, I guess that works for some kids. Yeah. yeah. And was your sister exactly the same? No, she's so different to me. So um, she is super calm, super level headed. Um, you're not calm. <laughs> Look, I think I think I can be pretty you're challenging. You're excitable. Be. Is that um, what you mean? No, I think she's just she's very um, she's very reasoned. Um, she had a very, I definitely, not push the boundaries, but I definitely wanted to try things and, and explore the world and, and deeply, introspectively, you know, explore myself and, um, and all of the things that, you know, I could get access to and exposed to from, you know, both, both socially um, and academically and, and through travel and all of those things, in, especially in my you life. You wanted it all. Yeah. yeah. And, and she was very, um, very different to that. She had a beautiful group of friends, beautiful long-term boyfriend and and then uh, you know she's been married for nearly probably nearly 10 years and two kids and just like she was really happy with that 
um, with a much more consistent, um, considered life. I think. And what do you think about that relative to yourself? Do you it ever- took me a long time to understand. I think, you know, especially in my early to probably mid-20s, I just couldn't understand. I couldn't fathom how she would want to, you know, get married and have children and have, you know, 2.5 kids in the Kia Carnival. And I was like, there's just so much more to life. And and why can't you want to, you know, achieve, you know, career brilliance or whatever it might be? And it really took me until my 30s to be able to go, my God, achieving those things can be so much harder than than the um, the stresses of achieving in a career, you know. Having a, a healthy, robust marriage that is full of love and raising children that are empowered and loved and Stability. Have, a, have a good sense of self, That those things can be far more challenging. Because you're in the opposite industry. I mean, yeah. modelling, I've had some experience with uh, ex-wives uh, <laughs> who are models. Yeah. And um, I just know that their lives were, I mean, modelling's a tough life. Yeah, it really is. I mean, the girls, they're very competitive. Um, the agencies are very competitive. Mm-hmm. The clients are really tough particularly if you're overseas or if you're travelling uh, yeah. for someone overseas. Yeah, they expect demanding. a lot. Yeah. Yep. Um, they're treated like shit. Um, sometimes you get don't make as much money as you should. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all sorts of fees and costs associated with it and yeah. it's it's erratic. Yeah. Um, you're dieting, you don't eat the right stuff, you drink too much piss, um, hang out. Sometimes you can hang out with the wrong people but, or wrong people can get attracted to that industry. It's a, an erratic environment. That's yes. my memory of it. Yeah. And um, that sounds like the total opposite of what your sister was doing. So yeah. how, how, do you, how do you navigate your way through that? Because that's the industry you're, you're yeah. servicing now. Yeah. By the way, it looks like you're trying to put a bit of balance back into that industry, yeah. which is what we're going to talk about in a moment. But how did you, when you were a model, how did you survive this process? And, well, can I ask you, why did you decide to do modelling? And what would someone come and say, see that you? We want to put you on our books. Is that what happened? Or Yeah, so I basically got scouted. Um, I did it a little bit in high school in my later years and then really got into it while I was um, in university. And and it afforded me some amazing opportunities, right? Like yeah. as you say, you do get to travel, you get to meet amazing people, you get experiences that you just wouldn't otherwise get as a sort of 17, 18-year-old. And, and that's that's amazing. But it does have absolutely, as you say, all of the downsides of um, well, it's good. you've got to navigate your way through it. And yeah. a lot of girls don't, boys yeah. as well, I guess. Yeah. But uh, you've got to navigate your way through the rubbish. Yes. It's sort of yeah. fairly, can get, can get be a bit tough. Um, what do you think allowed you to navigate your way through I it? I think I had a pretty strong sense of self from my from my childhood. Which so mean, what do you mean by that? I, I think I was pretty aware of who I was and I was pretty aware of my, my values and my morals and what I stood for and, and I, I was – confident. Um, I, I didn't, I probably wasn't as affected by some of the, the negative parts of the industry and some of the connotations that go along with that. Um, but on the flip side of that, I tried, I really wanted to apply those things to that industry, which is definitely not how, you know, it had been done before. So I was like, this isn't fair. This isn't right. This shouldn't be done this way, or people shouldn't be treated that way. Or those, you know, this is an unhealthy industry or, and you know, at, 18, 19, 20, 21, like you're not in a position of power to make those decisions or to But did you to see it? Did reasons. it affect yeah. you? Yeah. And yeah. What, what, like if, if you got dudded on a, on a job, yeah. you know, or someone some pulled your card out of the thing and uh, your card wasn't there when the clients were in, whatever, um, how did you react? I mean, what, what was your, what would be your reaction? Would you say, hey, fuck you, put it back up there or would you be like semi, not aggressive, but, you know, like into it or would you 
take a backward step and just say, oh, wow, that's not very nice. Yeah, I was probably more um, annoyingly reasonable, I think. is So I would, I just remember having these like long email conversations with my agent about like, you know, there's, I don't understand why you pay models 90 days after the date of a job. I understand that there's a cash flow issue here, but you know, why can't we work out a system? And, you know, I would go into these lengthy details of, you know, this is, it's like asking. So you were punished basically. Total punish. I look back on it and think, God, you know, I'm sure they had a million other things that they were trying to do and just to keep the lights on or whatever, but I just couldn't understand. And I, I certainly, you know, I hope was never rude or, you know, um, demanding or anything like that. But I was just like, but I just don't understand. And I want to help you fix this. You know, I was very willing to like, let's, let's workshop this or let's, you know, sit down together or why don't we, you know, fix these contracts with clients to help them understand why there needs to be better processes in place. Or, you know, there is legislation that says how many breaks someone needs to have in the course of a working day. So why don't we just use those and apply them? You know, like it doesn't seem to be that difficult to me. Why can't we just make Well, they did changes? because they could get away with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, they've always had always got away, which is how most industries are before they get um, restructured. But yeah. so, which is what you couldn't understand, I guess. But it's, I guess it's called, um, you know, Supply and demand. That you, you guys yeah. are the supply, the demand. The, you got to supply into the demand. You're you're the content. You yeah. know your physicality is the content, and uh, but the demand is the where the dollars are, um, yeah. and the demand is the client, and the client determines when they're going to pay, and the agency is going to pay you when they're when they feel like they're ready. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you, you probably didn't understand it, but I know I, I understand. In terms of your approach to um, these emails and these questioning, was that something you would have done with your parents when you were growing up? Well, I mean, would you have said we, is that because you're allowed to ask those questions to your parents? Because yeah. when when my kids are growing, say, hey, I'm telling you what we're going to do. That's what we're doing. Okay, don't ask me. Yeah, <laughs> like, but pretty much because that's how I was brought up, you know. Yeah. And, uh, um, and I didn't know any different. I know I was pretty young when I had my kids, so yeah. I didn't know any better. Um, is that? Would you take it back to that? Yeah, definitely. I think my parents gave me the space to ask those questions and to and that it was okay to challenge whatever the status quo was. I remember having a you know lengthy conversation. I was doing you know, really advanced maths in, in high school and um, saying to my dad, I just, I can't understand, you know, you know, I need to solve this problem, blah, blah, blah. And I don't really understand how I'm, I'm ever going to apply this. And, you know, it just seems to be, you know, questions for questions sake. And, and him sitting me down and having this really great conversation with me and saying, it's not about you learning how to solve this particular, you know, trigonometry problem or whatever. What it is, it's about learning how to solve problems and it's about learning how to complete tasks to deadlines and it's about learning how to complete them to someone else's requirements. So you might not think that solving this problem this way is the best way to do it or writing out your problem solving that they've asked you to do is a waste of your time. But guess what? You're not the teacher. So you need to learn that in this situation, you're being asked to do something in a particular way by a particular deadline by someone who is your superior. So if you can learn those skills and just you know, remove the fact that this is related to doing maths in high school and apply that to logic later in life, that's what this situation is trying to teach you. So so can you identify for me, for our audience at least, the uh, problem that you encountered as a fundamental problem in your industry, what was modelling at the time? Yeah, there was a few. So firstly, it was incredibly combative, which you sort of touched on before. Models didn't have great relationships. Actually, that's a better word than competitive. It is combative. Combative, yeah. And, and they don't, they don't, they're not nice to each other. No, and no one is in the transaction. You know, models generally aren't nice to each other because it's competitive. Models and agents had a very combative relationship. There was this rule by fear situation where models felt, you know, terrified to ask for something or to say they can't make a job because they're sick or ask for their payment when they can't physically afford to pay rent anymore. And 
So that was a really combative relationship. And then the relationship from client to, to agent was also awful. No one was winning in that scenario. There were constant disputes about, you know, rates and wages and, and you know, who they could have and, and a client just desperately wanting to get a specific thing that they needed to get done. And what happened between here and here really wasn't relevant to them. Their, their outcome was producing a piece of content usually or selling a product, you know. And so they just needed to get that done as efficiently as possible. And every single step of the way made that hard. And so I just thought, surely there's a very clear outcome in mind. Why can't we just make every single step along this way easier for every party involved in that transaction? Because if they're adding value, I think there'll always be a place for them. But if there's not, I just don't understand why they're there. They're making things more difficult and they're not adding value to a transaction. And can I ask this, did you go about that problem you identified the same as you went about the trigonometry problem when you sat down with your dad and you went and saw your dad. Did you go and, did you consult with your dad and say, listen, dad, I, I just can't understand this. Yeah. I had a lot of, I had amazing mentors as well, sort of during that period who were either other business owners or um, people who were sort of much more um, experienced than I was and much further advanced in their careers. So I would sit them down and I'd go, what, why is this like this? Is it just our industry? Because it's the only one I'd been exposed to. And and probably a little bit more broadly, that advertising industry. But I was like, why is this the case? And how do we fix this? Because surely this is not, it's not solving a problem and it's not, it's not benefiting the industry or anyone within it. So is this something, is this a good idea? Should I try and go and what do, and Well, what do they say? Did someone say, listen, a bit like the thing at school, like this is what you're asked, being asked to do, do it. Yeah. <laughs> fit in, learn how to fit in. Doesn't mean fit in, but learn how to fit in. Did anyone, did anyone say, hey, why don't you just take them on? Yeah, a few people were sort of like, okay, that does seem fundamentally flawed. I mean, of course, all businesses. Is it flawed or unfair? I mean, did you because it was flawed or or did you do it because were you driven because you thought this is unfair and I'm going to fix it? Like, uh, you know, like that movement style process or did you do it because it's flawed and I know economically that there's there's an earn in this for me. There's a a little corner in this for me because I know it's flawed. There was both. So I definitely, I fundamentally had this burning belief that people were not being treated fairly and that that, I think, inherently makes a flawed model. Is that the left? Is that That's the le- a little bit of the left coming out of me. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, so you, you, you the unfairness I, is very much a left thing, you know, yes, like, uh, yeah. you, well, traditionally it was, it's yeah. not so much these days, but um, left is anything radical today, but to, to some extent it sort of mm. encapsulates a lot of other stuff. But, but that social conscience piece that the left – the Labor Party, yes, for example, in this yeah. country, always stood for, and mm-hmm. the Democrats used to stand for in the US, and right, yeah. Labor in the, in the UK too, but um, as it is broader these days. But um, that social conscience, that, is that something you felt like? You, do you think if you could go back and you thought, what, what influenced me? That, is that like your mum and your dad? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It's definitely something that they ho- really hold core and true to, to to this day. And especially more, you know, as my career has progressed and I've become – much more commercially minded and I don't want to say, you know, and I certainly still have very much a lens of the left, but um, I think that we've had lots of really robust family discussions about what that looks like now and and how you still can hold true to these sort of core values of of caring for people and, and your, and it probably took me a long time as well to go through, you know, that mid part of your career in your 20s and being like, financially focused and building a business that was commercially viable and all of those things to get to a place now where I can look back and go, okay, well, now that I can achieve those things, how can I apply that lens of where I started of, of you know, wanting to do social good and, and having philanthropic pursuits? How can I apply that now with a, a, with a broader impact and with a better, I guess, commercial foundation to do that? So well, that's sort of interesting because you, you said your dad and your mum are uh, 
a little bit to the right in terms of fiscal. I think what you mean by that is they've made money out of in their life and they, they're comfortable. But at the same time, your dad was doing something, you know, social conscious. Environmental stuff is mm-hmm. very social conscious those days. Today it's more trendy um, as well as social conscious. But he made money out of it. And uh, your 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 concept of what's unfair in an industry, the modelling industry, or let's call it the broader marketing industry, then you've turned this into some way of making money out of it too. So yeah. you're sort of making money out of something that you're passionate about. Yeah. Which is sort of where I feel as though you're going with all this, that uh, you've sort of laid out for us what the influences were in your life. You can, there's nothing wrong with making money out of something you were socially conscious about. Yeah. Yeah. And I think broken. Would that be a good fix, way of putting yeah, it? Yeah, fixing a system that was broken. And I could definitely, as you touched on before, I could definitely see that there was a commercial upside there. So that if I could fix a system that was fundamentally broken, flawed, and, and that there would be commercial upside in that, that I could build better repeat rates, better bookings, a more loyal talent base. Like there was some very clear commercial upside in that for me. Yeah, and do you remember the day when you when this came into your mind? Like, where where were you? What were yeah, you I was really frustrated. I'd, it was a nut. I'd have you're probably, working at. Are you working in in the agency or one, with an agency? Then? Yeah, so yeah, I was yeah. working with an agency. I was also producing myself. So I was working um, in advertising, producing campaigns for brands, and so booking models myself as well as being a model and booking production teams. And and I just thought, oh my god, this is just so bad. And I had another fight with someone about money, and just gone. This is just such a fundamentally flawed industry. And and I, it was a big risk because I was still modelling myself to go out and start my own agency, right? Like that officially sort of meant retiring from the game because I don't think that you can do that well, be a model and... How old were you? 21. 21. Yeah. So, so d- d- you decided I'm out, I'm going to do, do it for myself and for others. Yeah. 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 And that, that was the launch of Wink. Wink, yeah. Yeah. What yeah. does Wink stand for? Or is it just actually as in Wink? It's, it's Wink. And so it came from the idea of originally it was supposed to be a very small boutique firm and it was supposed to be on referral only. So it was supposed to be the wink of acknowledgement that it was sort of a, a small industry. You'd been referred to us. We were going to keep a very boutique book of models and clients and and um, it was a very sort of select few. So, so it was wink, was wink when you were 21 when you yeah. said wink up. Um, when I think wink, I think of Meryl Monroe just doing that wink that she used to do. But um, <laughs> yeah. when, when, you, when, you, when you set wink up, was wink a marketplace, it probably wasn't at that no. stage, it wasn't a marketplace. You were a modelling agency. Yeah. You, you were actually... Pure play traditional agency. Yeah, yes, yeah. Tr- yeah. Traditional agency, putting models up on a, whatever you call those things there, where they put all the photos up and yeah. all, the, all, the, yeah. all, all the details and characteristics and then um, going and trying to get uh, um, clients to buy into that modelling, yeah. those models. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And we, yeah. we launched with about 30 models and was sort of just the cusp of technology. So website, flip, knock your phone, that was it. Just yep. me and a laptop and and um, lots of cold calls and hustling. And I was fortunate to have like a really established, you know, little black. How did you get of, 30 models? I mean, you're 21. Like, how did you find? Yeah, all, how, a lot of other people who were disillusioned with the industry. And but I think how did you do that? Like, do you ring? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Come up, say, hey, go on, Karen. Like, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah. Come with me. Yeah. So basically, I had yeah people who I could see definitely were disillusioned Probably and, like and Karen, were looking anyway. for <laughs> Shaylee or something. No. Yeah. Um, and yeah, who were a little bit disillusioned and could see what I was trying to do and knew how passionate I was about it and and that I'd sort of championed a lot of people through you know the yeah. The so time what, what were you like? Were you, was was this Karen Williams? Was she out there, sort of like a, a shop steward? Um, out there, sort of like capital uh, <laughs> unionizing the, yeah, the, totally. the labor I mean, force. Were you doing yeah. that? Were you like, where, where were you living? Were you living in Sydney? Sydney? Yeah, I was living in Balmain. Was your, your poon? They're they're in Adelaide actually, so they'd been living all over. They've the place, gone back to Adelaide. Yeah, they, so um, you're, you're in Sydney, living in Balmain, yeah. uh, working for one of the agencies here, um, walking around, probably taking people's cards out and saying, "Listen, I'm going to ring you up tomorrow and say, uh, would you like to come to a meeting with me surreptitiously because I'm looking at um, pissing these people off and actually form my own agency." Certain things. Because you, yeah. you're, you're so, in the, you're yeah. in the, I mean, it's, those agencies, when you think about it, it's pretty dumb because, you know, they've got someone like you, less like letting the uh, the fox into the chicken pen, you know, because uh, <laughs> you're in there, you've got, you've got all your inventory yeah. sitting yeah. right there. Yeah. And you've probably got better relationships with them than the agency themselves. Yeah. Because as you say, it's, it's a combative, a combative relationship and you just need to pick out 20, 30 people who are going to be on your side. Yeah. Um, is that what you did? Pretty much, and mm. for both sides. So with clients, obviously, as you say, we we're on set all the time, having yeah, yeah. these conversations, building rapport, especially with you know repeat booking clients, photographers, the, yeah. the whole thing, directors, yeah. everything. Yeah, and they knew that I was you know incredibly hardworking and and would always go above and beyond. And people would sort of call me anyway and say, hey, you know, do you know a male model for this thing? Or actually, you know, we're looking for a girl in Queensland. Do you know anyone there? So I'd sort of you know become an unofficial conduit to other parts of the industry anyway. Um, and so, yeah, I certainly spent a lot of time very consciously building um, a contact base. And your with the point side. of difference was we pay in seven days. That, that was your real point of difference. Yep. I mean, uh, you're a traditional agency yep. that works or doesn't work, but you're, you know, you know, put a hard work and all that other stuff. But I mean, there's lots of people who can make the same claim. But your, tradi- your, your point of difference was I'll pay in 14 days. You don't have to wait 90 days. Pay seven, yeah. So seven we, days. Sorry. Seven days, yeah. So, so, so you pay, do the job? Yep, you'll get paid. Definitely every Monday payroll, we will pay you. Now, do you, your client is not going to pay you. No. They're going to pay you 90 days. Correct. We weren't changing anyone. So you have to bankroll yeah. seven days. Got, got very adept at juggling cash flow. Okay. So yeah. how did you fund it? Like how, how did you fund this? So I launched with the, about $30,000 in savings. Um, thankfully, you know, building a website back then was, you know, $5,000 or something and mobile phone and and that was it and just didn't draw a salary for the first two years and and reinvested every single dollar back into the business and and hustled and and you know did everything that I could to build up a but you did it yourself you funded yeah. yourself yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. out of your own cash flow and yeah. savings yeah, yeah. no and external investment did you, did you I mean that's that's a big that's a big juggling act um yeah it was really tough because I mean if you don't if you don't adhere to your seven day policy you know, you know, one yeah. one model tell the other. They'll all tell each other. They'll yep. find out within a minute. And what what did the agencies who you compete with, what who were paying ninety days to their models? So what, what what were they saying? What was the word out? It took a long time for them to respond. I I really thought that we would you know within sort of the first twelve months that 
we would start to see a shift towards at least people starting to reduce their payment terms. But probably took about two and a half years. And um, they, all, anyone... they, they've, they met you? No, they've most agencies reduced to sort of six-week payment terms. Now most are on about 30, sort of 30 to 60-day payment terms at other agencies and still blows my mind. So Yeah, but yeah. I guess at 30 days is not a big enough gap between seven days to maybe make you too unique. I mean, seven days is good, but like if if for you're gonna get, if you're gonna get like hundred grand, for me, yeah, you probably say yeah. oh, I'm happy to wait another twenty one days to get the money. Correct, correct. Uh, but yeah. those jobs for as you probably rare, well know, yeah, yeah rare. very very rare. So what it means because what I'm just get trying trying to get to is your business model probably is not a tr- so attractive that you're going to get all the bigger jobs and all the bigger the bigger names. Actually, from our client side, for them, it was more about the relationship. So because they had such an awful relationship with the agents that they were working with and it had been so fraught for so long and they'd had, you know, so many years of, of challenging conversations and, and well, bad nearly, experiences. I'll say it's nearly toxic, but go on. Yeah, they were really looking for something new. So they so were that, like, that's, you know That's what? the client. Yeah, that yeah. was the client. So yeah. they were like, you know what, if you're willing to try something and do something different and, you know, meet us with a better attitude and, and wanting to be, I always would say we're an extension that's of your you team. That, that's that's yeah. Taryn saying, listen, I can do this. You you know who, yeah. the, the, who the clients are. You're, that's you hustle, or yeah. you and your team But hustle. we would literally be there, you know, there wasn't this sort of nine to five, we'll get back to you when it suits us. Yeah, no, no, attitude. hustle. That's, that's a full, yeah. but like. Uh, yeah, it's a hard, it's a hard word to use, but inventory is models. Okay, yeah. like if you haven't got the right talent, yeah, you got trouble. We were also the first agency to say we're not exclusive, so we would say to our models, "Hey, you go we, anywhere you like." Yeah, you go anywhere you like because yeah. my job is to get you work, and if I'm not getting you work, then absolutely Godspeed, go yeah, and get it. Yeah, I know. Us. I get the but so, like if you say to so and so Mary Lou that you're not exclusive, but as soon as um, Vivian's or Chadwick or someone finds out that you're working for you, they're not, they're they're going to second thoughts about. Signing up Mary Lou. Yeah. So we would Unless say, she's yeah. like up yeah. there, you know, they're yeah. going to come in, not have her. Yeah. So, I, True. so, so what I'm trying to get at, what I want to get at here is in terms of um, getting your people and building your 30 to another number. Yeah. That is in terms of inventory. Yeah. Uh, as, as I said, it's a hard word to use inventory, but talent. Yeah. Still a bad word, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did you go about that? Like, what was, what, apart from the people, the fact that people are going to get paid $7,000, did it end up, did you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to stratify the talent? You know, like hundred thousand dollars talent, you know, who yeah. can charge. Right down to someone who could, you know, I'm going to get two thousand dollars with four, or it's just a little catwalk thing at Grace Brothers or day mm-hmm. somewhere. Um, did you actually do? That? I mean, t- I would like to know how you worked yeah. out who you're going to go for. Yes, so we made a really conscious choice to go and look at the market because the market was also changing, you know, exponentially at that time. There was a shift towards the type of talent being required in campaigns to be much more relatable. So yeah, yeah. we saw a lot of international brands coming in who were saying, "No, we don't want." Just a five eleven, blue eyed, nineteen year old girl in this ad. We need you. someone who is more relatable and and more authentic to our customer, and who is actually going to move the meter for our brand. Like, mm. and and brands were coming. Looks becoming, normal. Yeah, and becoming much more sophisticated in the data that they had, and obviously power of social as well. Consumers were very quick to say, "Why is there no ethnic diversity in this campaign?" Yeah, or yeah. you know, this this mum is. 23, she's not 37, she doesn't yeah, actually yeah. have children. So speak to me in a way that is going to make me buy your product. So that was really powerful for us as well. So we decided to have a really ethnically diverse um, book. We had um, we were probably the first agency in Australia to have mature age models. So anyone sort of 35 to 65 were our sort of Crazy classic. 35, we're going. Yeah, I know, I know, ridiculous. I know on plus size still being a size 10 and up, which yeah, is yeah. crazy. So. Um, so we had plus size division as well, classics. And so what we really tried to do was for any commercial brief, which is traditionally where the money is, 
we steered really clear, especially in the early days of fashion, where, again, quite tumultuous, not great pay. Yes, prestige, but I was like, I don't need prestige. Yeah, so you're not I front need... page Cosmopolitan or wherever it yeah. was in those days. Yeah. yeah, we need money in the bank. So yeah. we went after anything that paid really well. So good catalogs, TVCs, print campaigns that had substantial budget but needed a more diverse portfolio. Okay, that, that's interesting. I want to follow that through. I mean, I know I've got to go to the break, so I'll make the break a little bit later and we'll make the second half of it short. I, I just want to follow that through a bit because maybe your business model wasn't just that I'm going to pay in seven days. I mean, that was that's a good one. That's a good financial incentive. But maybe, um, well, you tell me, mm. was it a, a thing at the time that um, you called it diverse, but like a, a broader spectrum of more relatable talent available for the client was it a, um, a situation where you were trying to convince – Did you were you finding yourself leading the charge and trying to convince clients, look, this is a better type of person to have in front of um, your so-called customer base, your audience, because uh, she actually looks like a mum. She is in her 30s. She is a mum. Yeah. <laughs> she, is, she looks like a mum. She doesn't look like uh, someone who just dropped, dropped, jumped off the catwalk who couldn't possibly be a mother, yeah. um, you know. It did, were you trying to – when I said hustle earlier, I might be more than hustle – was it a matter of you educating your clients as to why the people you were getting were, and by the way, they're probably going to be cheaper, the ones you're getting, because they weren't traditionally the most popular people. Um, um, you can get these people because it's more relatable. I mean, did you sort of get involved in this whole process, as you said, the industry was changing rapidly, of, of convincing your clients that you had a better product because which is going to be better for them? Yes, and was going to move the meter for their brands. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. So how did you go about it? Like, so, did you give papers to them or did you give research to them? Did you did you get psychologists to say what consumers are looking for? Because yeah, I was about was consumers. Definitely, and it was a bit of both sides. So obviously, as you say, brands are incredibly data-driven, right? So presented with that kind of information. Yeah, but you, the, going back 21, I don't know how old you are now, but you look like about 35. <laughs> 35, <isn't> yeah. <laughs> um, so 21, we're going back 14 years ago. The data wasn't. I don't know whether the data definitely wasn't like the data we've got today. No, it wasn't coming from the same places. No, and it wasn't as easy to access. So, so. so correct. So, yeah. how did you get? I'm, what I'm trying to get for our audience to hear is how did someone like you in your industry find the data or the re- get the research done or find yeah. the research that had been done to convince your, that your client, the person who's paying the dough, which is you know your revenue stream, that they should be going with you and which allows you then to go and recruit these cheaper yeah. people to put lots of people on your books. Actually, and the interesting thing is that a lot of the time they were more expensive because they were so hard to find for these brands because there wasn't a traditional process to do that. So it's much easier to call a modelling agency and say, I need a 511 blonde. You know, that that was easy for them to do. But when they were like, gosh, I need a, you know, mixed ethnicity 35-year-old woman who genuinely looks like she has children and is happy to be in our ad, that's really challenging. So brands were already receiving the information from their internal sort of data sources and from yeah. their advertising agencies who were saying, hey, look, conversion rates on this aren't great. Because and some of the work. traditional channels weren't working as well, you know, so they weren't doing these big spend TBCs that, you know, would run for 12 months. Consumers' interests were were changing. The type of content that we were consuming, how, how fresh that needed to be was changing. They also had all of these channels now to feed, right? So they had social media channels and all of these things that they previously didn't have. They needed content but, for lots of Yeah, platforms. and it gave them the immediacy of response, right? So mm. they could test something and see if it performed. So 
they were having more data internally and from their agencies. We had a lot of great relationships with advertising agencies. So um, two of my mentors owned advertising agencies. And so we were getting data from them as well, which really helped us. And there was data available online. It was definitely harder to find. It wasn't like, you know, Is your client even. the um, agency or the the uh, advertising agency or is it the, uh, the person? Both. It's nearly 50-50. So right. it will either come from the advertising agency or the production company. Who works or, with the big names? Yeah, or, or the brand directly. Or the brand themselves. Yeah. So, and so, so you had more and more so now them. we're seeing brands directly build their own in-house sort of content content creation yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and marketing and media teams. Especially these days. Yeah. Um, okay, so you were working your butt off to get to the advertising agencies in those days who yeah. were influencing their clients as to who they should choose and what the ad should look like, yeah. especially DVCs. Um, you're also getting to the clients themselves, that is mm-hmm. um, the person, like the, the brand. Yeah. Decision makers, yeah. yeah. And then you're out there hunting out um, people to fit into the program. So you're actually out there trying to f- find the talent. Yeah. I mean, so were you like literally walking around places or have people like scouting around and say, wow, she looks like a, a good um, Eurasian style yeah. person <laughs> who could be a mother of uh, you know, kids or whatever. In the early days, we scouted more. Um, what I sort of came to learn is that that those people don't necessarily have the natural proclivity to be a talent or to want to be a model. Um, yeah, yeah. And that can be challenging. Totally. So Because they get in front of the camera, they shit themselves. Yeah, they're like, this well, is not no, what I no, thought. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but it's amazing how many people um, would, ex- you know, express an interest and say, you know, I've done a little bit of acting work before and I used to do stage performance. I remember having a conversation with a taxi driver once um, who, you know, was driving me home and he said, oh, you know, what do you do? And I was telling him and he said, oh, I used to act, you know, I did theatre work and, you know, I'd, I'd done all these shows and I'd love to give it a go again. And he was probably maybe 63 when he joined the agency and within week one he booked a global ad for Splendor, the um, sugar replacements and, um, you know, incredibly well paid and I was like this is just a, you know, confluence of circumstance that happened to give us the right person for this campaign at the right time. So, yeah, look, it was a little bit of, yeah, hustling, trying to find the right people for roles and then more and more as our brand reputation built and, you know, we had, I mean, we've got 650 models now so then we probably had, I don't know, about 200 who were a natural referral network. You know, they're getting bookings, they're having a great experience with us. We made a really conscious choice as well to be, models are generally going through the most challenging periods of their lives when they're modelling. You know, they're having their first big breakup, they're going through their uni exams, they're moving out of home. And so we made a decision, hey, look, we're going to be a family and we're going to be here as that support network for you and we're going to be those people that you can call and go, you know, I'm having a really shit time, I've just broken up with my boyfriend, I can't pay rent. What can I, you know, help me out here? And um, and so that built a natural referral network as well. They felt really supportive, and so they were constantly bringing people into the fold and into the family. And was your brain like pinging like it is now like, during that period? I mean, because that's what keeps you running. I mean, like yeah. where, you're only little, so where do you get energy from? <laughs> yeah, look, it was, and I, I think I burnt the candle at both ends for a good ten years, yeah, you know, yeah. where I was working every hour God sent, and and you know, I do love the industry, and I was surrounded by amazing people. Like I had amazing mentors. I was solving a real problem and I could see the real impact. I could see people, you know, I'd set out to sort of change and disrupt this agency sort of space. And I could see the real impact that it was having on these people, that they, they were happier, they were healthier, they were better, they had better emotional yeah, but it's a bit like resiliency. Digging up, yeah, but it's a bit like digging up a grave. You, you sort of like there's a, there's a dead body in there somewhere, and uh, yeah. which is sort of what the modelling agency industry was like. It was a bit of a dead body, didn't change for a long time. Yeah. And you start to dig, dig the grave up, and as you're digging the grave up, you're sort of uncovering all sorts of weird, scary things. Yeah. Um, and you can't stop. You've got to keep going until you get right down to where the, the bones are. And yeah. you get a shock. And you're, yeah. if you're trying to do it on your own, 
I mean, were you the only proprietor or do you have yeah. partners, business partners? Yeah, no. So, like, it's a hard thing to share. Yeah, um, it was it, incredibly isolating. And, like, and, and it, is, it is like, you know, to some extent, business like that, doing what you're talking about, like unraveling something that's been tightly raveled for a long time, as I said, like a grave. Mm. It's very lonely. It's like, it is like being in a cemetery late yeah. at night. Yeah, absolutely. And how'd you Incredibly deal with that? isolating. It was hard. It was hard. It, I definitely had Were great. Were you married? No, I did get married, got married, got divorced in yeah. the in the midst of all of that. Got to so, get through yeah, that shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everyone needs to start a marriage. Yeah. Um, so yeah, got that out of no the way. No kids. There was no kids. No in the, kids. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, thank God. Yeah. So um, very lucky in that sense. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it takes its toll. I had obviously I had my parents to call on, but there's also so many only so many times you want to call them and worry them about your you know, stress levels and everything. Um, I had really great mentors, so people who were, I had well, yeah, done this before. Yeah, but yeah, I, I get it, but like, tell me this straight up. Yeah. Like when, you know, Jiminy Cricket's there and he's rubbing his legs over your head at 2am and you can't sleep and you're yeah. itching and turn. What did you do? Like, t- tell tell the audience because yeah. they, they want to know. Like, yeah. what do you do in these environments? It's it's just fucking hard, and yeah. you have to. I think you have to deeply believe in what you're doing. There was times absolutely where I wanted to call it quits, where I was like, this, "Why did I do this?" You know, yeah. I could just could have kept modelling, earning my money, and whatever. Or got married, had some kids. You know, there was so many times. Where my I sister went, did. Yeah, exactly. You know, and had a really nice life and. And I, I had a lot of those times where I went, what drives me? Why am I doing this? Well, that's what I'm trying to get to. Why? I have this conversation all the time because a lot of people find, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are either doing it to prove someone wrong or because they didn't think that they could be enough or their parents didn't love them enough growing up or some teacher told them that they were never going to amount to anything. And I sort of didn't you? have any of those fundamental, you know, broken well, what things. what is it? So, I don't know. I love problem solving. I really, really love the challenge of trying to un- unravel something and – it probably, as you say, once you get in, it's it's too late. You know, then you're you're deep in this. Okay, I've got to keep going. What what am I going to do? Dig that grave, kiddo. Yeah, there's there's only just don't fall in. Can't. That's yeah, the only correct, drama. Correct. Because <laughs> the there's no one there going to pull you out. Because no. you're in the middle of the cemetery, middle absolutely, of the night. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, we're going to go to the break. Going to come back, and we're going to talk about your new business. So back here with Taryn Williams, we sort of exhausted her old business, or well, it's still a business, but the original business called Wheat Models, got that. Um, hopefully you understood all that stuff that we went through, but I, I actually want to quickly jump into The Right Fit. That's the new business. It's probably become quite relevant post-COVID, but explain what The Right Fit is. Like, just give us a rundown of that. Totally. So it's two-sided marketplace. So think of it like an Airtasker or an yep. Upwork, an Airbnb. We connect all different kinds of creative talent. So influencers, actors, photographers, videographers, anything that you could need for a creative campaign we connect with job opportunities. So brands and agents can list a job in the marketplace. We'll algorithmically match them with people that suit. And then we manage the transaction as well. So we escrow the funds. We look after insurance, paperwork. One-stop shop. And everything. Exactly. So, All so, automated. Yeah, so like uh, anybody who needs a campaign, yep. who's looking for a campaign and they're looking for talent. Yep, um, of any kind, yep. Talent of any kind. And as well as the talent of any kind, um, when you say ta- when I say talent, I don't mean, well, you're telling us it's not just models. Yeah. It's everybody within the talent yeah. program. So yeah. that, that so could we, be- we sort of break it down by actors and models, um, influencers and celebrities and social um, yeah. creators. For example, you're and trying then, to run a social and campaign. Production, production. So and production. So videographers, as well. sound, um, and then the hair who, makeup, then who, Okay, then and, and in terms of, um, let's just look at the production side of things. Yeah. Um, in terms of, um, let's say I come to you or I come to your website, I go to the right fit. Yep. And uh, 
do I uh, put my job up, give a job description? Yeah. So what do I put in? Like, you you know, I have to register or something like that, I guess. And Yeah. So if you ha- are like launching a new brand, you yep. can get in touch with us and you can say, hey, look, launching a, a product, don't really quite know what we need yet. Um, we do have a basically full service agency that can then do a creative execution for right. you and say, okay, you need homepage images, you need a social campaign. You so you build a strategy. Service. Yeah, we wink, can do that. Wink or somebody will come and just build a strategy. It's, yeah, it's part of the right fit business. Okay, so we so, have, so, yeah, sort of account management and, and But if I go in and just say, listen, I'm just, I've, I've already got the strategy, yeah. I've, I've got my director and I've got the cameras, I've got all that shit, but what I'm looking for is a spare photographer. Yeah. Um, and I, I post it up there and then yeah. all the photographers who come into your site see the posting, yeah. like Air we, Yeah, we algorithmically match them. So if they're someone who's based in uh, New South Wales, who matches your guide rates that you've budget-wise you've got to pay. So you are, so you, has, you ask me, you tease me out, tease out a yeah. um, uh, price range. Yeah, what sort of deliverables you need, yeah. time frame, if they're available, all of those things, and their experience. So if you're looking for a food photographer or whatever it might be, we'll then alert them. They, they can apply on the platform. You chat back and forth. You they book, chat back and forth. Yeah. Yep. So you chat directly with the end talent. Um, then once you make the booking, it automatically creates all of your legal contracts, public liability insurance, personal so property. documents coverage. get produced. Yep. yep. Okay. Yep. And um, we escrow the funds and then once the job is complete. So the funds come, from, let's say I'm the advertiser. Yeah. Um, you ask me, you say, okay, give me some money. So yep. it's a sort of some sort of, is it like credit card? Or, or credit tra- card, yeah. Credit card, okay. Yeah. So I, I put my credit card up or do I actually transfer the dollars? No, put your credit card in, but we will only escrow the funds and hold it and t- um, securely until the transaction is complete. Yep. So once the transaction is complete, you come back and do your ratings and reviews exactly like Uber. Once you complete that process, we then release the funds to the talent. So right. once the job is successful. Okay. And uh, obviously you take a clip for this or, yep. is, or is it a subscription? No, we charge a commission on every transaction. So, so. so you make your money per transaction? Yes. There's no yep. clip on the av- – uh, uh, when I, if I'm a, a photographer or, or a talent, I'm a, do I uh, – you don't charge me to load myself up in nope, the No, you can join system. our platform and if they want – they can upgrade if they want to unlock like unlimited photos and unlimited video storage and things like that. They can upgrade but they don't have to. Um, I, I can, we, I, so me as a talent, I can actually use you as a library? Yep. I can put yep. all my stuff up there. Yeah, um, you can use us as your shop front on the internet. So I can so, put my portfolio up there. Yeah, all your you know, portfolio. All you can link photos. all your socials, exactly, all of the fabulous things that all you've got going on. my smiles and um, like a messy hair and shit. <laughs> so I can put all put all looks, okay? Yeah. Okay, that's cool. That, yeah. That's cool because then if I'm the client and I go to your marketplace, um, I can actually look through Taryn Williams's photographs yeah. and say, yeah, well, she can be a mum. Blah, 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 whatever, you know, yeah. I'm trying to look for you. And, yeah, uh, and they can search. So we have a really detailed algorithm that helps brands search for things. So they yes. can search for a celebrity chef who's vegan, who has over 50,000 followers, for example. And so they can search through that in our platform and it will present them back with all the options. And then they can directly inquire as well. So on each person's profile, they'll have a button and they can say, great, Mark, I'd love to work with you. Look perfect for our campaign. What sort of rates do you charge? So is that just comes a, a lead Australia, this is just for Australia now? APAC. Yeah, so APAC, we've got about 16,000 talent um, across APAC. We do have talent in the US and the UK, but predominantly APAC. APAC being Australia, Australia Pacific. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. and then about 11,000 clients. Yeah, and this has been going four and a half years. What happened yes. during COVID? Yeah, it was crazy because we were effectively the end of the advertising chain, right? And as you would well know, that one of the first things that people put a red line through mm, is Spending money on advertising. And, yeah, <laughs> things that you can quickly turn off. So yeah, any yeah. kind of media, PR, advertising spend. Um the first two months were incredibly challenging and we saw we're probably revenue was down about 65%. The last four months, we've actually had our biggest four months in history. So yeah. I think what it's done is actually expedited a shift towards digital um, and brands now have to create more digital content than ever before. People are consuming more, spending more time on social, consuming more content. There's been a shift away from TV, definitely a shift away from outdoor, right? 
So brands like, where can I still speak to people? And it's online. So whether that's through social channels or a lot of brands use us to shoot content for um, retargeting campaigns and, and online executions. So it's been phenomenal for us. Can I ask you a question? Like, I mean, because everybody's trying to work this out. Um, Do you think that the last four months of exponential growth, you know, you've done really well, probably better than you've ever done. Do you think that's just a, um, a squaring up of what I, what people didn't spend uh, during the COVID period Mm. and therefore it's not a, it doesn't represent a new trend in how much I will spend from now on on a monthly basis. I think it's going to be really interesting because I definitely think we saw when Melbourne reopened, there was obviously pent up demand from that period and that needed to be shot. What we have seen is a lot of brands who were shooting internationally shooting in Australia. So I think that trend's going to continue. That, that, that would be right because it's it's it's, it's sort of clean and healthy here. Like yes. They're making movies on Ballander, et cetera. Like Correct. Crazy. It's, yeah. So I think that we're actually going to see a really strong growth in the creative community here in Australia. I do think it will be interesting to see what happens sort of post-March yeah, when yeah. we really see the sort of the last of the stimulus packages and obviously some of the legislations with banking change. I think that's going to be a really challenging So how do you more. budget or forecast for this sort of stuff? We think that this definitely growth trend is going to continue. Um, we can see that brands have finally, a lot of brands have bought content in-house as well, so the shift away from traditional advertising agencies into internal content creation teams. We're seeing a new generation of marketer come through. They're more nimble, they're more efficient, they're more effective. They're less fearful of taking risk and creating content on their own. So, you know, you'll see it now, they'll shoot things on their phone and, um, and you know, be happy to experiment and test. And, you know, we're, we have so many more tools now to be more data-driven in our decision-making. So brands can create content, test it, see what works, get immediacy of feedback, cancel a campaign, reshoot it, and be much more granular in how they target, right? So people have got, you know, hundreds of buckets of, you know, Koala's one of our clients, and they're phenomenal. You know, they'll, they'll have lead gen running across so many different channels, so targeted in how they talk to people, you know, how they're talking to a consumer in Queensland and in far north Queensland is, is so different to how they're talking to a customer in in Victoria or you know a mum in in Perth. So they've got all of these different content channels running, and so they need they need content to feed all of those. Yeah, so. and I think our audience needs to hear that. But just think about that for a second. I just want to pick that. Basically, what Taryn's saying is someone like Koala, who's been on this podcast and the, the mattress company and other things, along yeah. amongst other things, but incredibly successful um, in terms of particularly in terms of the mattress the way they've sort of broken down the market pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but what they do is they use social media to make sure that they target the targets and the targets mm-hmm. are like there might be 100, 200 targets and each target might be either postcode targets, people who live in a postcode, it might be socioeconomic, it could be um, mm-hmm. other demographics like, you know, mums over the age of 40 or 50 or yeah. dads over the age of 40 or 50, whatever it is, all these subsets. And as a result of that, they pick talent and they pick style, styles and talent style of the ad, talent, mm-hmm. narrative, text, et cetera, and they uh, pretty much customise it. Yeah. So what you're saying is, and then, because social media allows you to, and then if it doesn't work, you start again. Yeah. You just turn retry, it just yeah. turn it, start again. Yeah. And uh, and that seems to be a, a really, because that's pretty cheap. It's pretty cheap. You know, yeah. like you can boost it pretty easily too, and it's not expensive. And the whole objective of these platforms, which is completely changed the way advertising used to be, it used to be one big yeah. spray technique on the national campaign. I've, I've been there, done that. And you wonder why you spend $3 million on a campaign and then you don't get any loan applications in my old business because yeah. you were completely off the mark. Yeah, yeah. And you're stuffed because you already booked two months of advertising and you can't stop. They just say, oh, you're, okay, if you don't want to do any more ads, that's bad luck. You've already, you already you, paid for it. You yeah. paid for it. You booked yeah. it. you got to yeah. pay for it. Totally. So, um, and what, what you're saying is your marketplace um, feeds into that. 
Yes. Your marketplace feeds into that environment. And uh, and so the right fit is about building a marketplace. And it's interesting. I mean, I, I it's, it's funny. Your your marketplace is sort of like a a total a total outcome marketplace. In other words, you're ca- catching all the bits. The earlier marketplaces like Tribe just does um, um, just does influences. Yeah. Or maybe he's starting to change. It. I don't know. But like Tribe just used to just do influences. I don't know if, it's still, if that's where he's still at. But um, you do influences plus all the other talent, all the other yeah. components yes. of campaigns. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so trying to empower a marketer to make better decisions. So influence marketing will well, in most cases, always be a part of their mix, right? And whether yeah, that but it's looks, a part. Exactly, it's yeah. a part. It's not the, the, it's not the thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because there be- was a period there where everyone just thought, oh, sure, you've got to use an influencer to advertise my pizza company, <laughs> you know, and or my my It was my the bane of or, my existence. Yeah, yeah t- totally. And uh, yeah. that's interesting. Okay, I'm out of time. I'm in trouble already. So uh, <laughs> I always give an opportunity, everyone an opportunity to ask me questions. So what one question have you got for me, Taryn? I would love to know. What drove you to do what you do? We dug a lot into what drove me to yeah, get started. Today, yeah. you mean in terms of the mentor or just generally? No, just generally in terms of in terms of the the values, morals, and, uh, and key well, burning I, I, desire I, to be a disruptor. Like you, or unlike you, I didn't grow up with parents who um, gave me, you know, like a broad base um, because that just wasn't my generation. But and nor the socioeconomic environment that I grew up in. But um, but like you, um, I didn't have some burning desire like to prove a point or those sorts of things. I mean, I, 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 we didn't have any money, but I didn't grow up worse than anybody else. I wasn't out mm-hmm. there to kick the shit out of uh, banks. I'm, But I'm very much a believer in fairness mm-hmm. um, and uh, fairness is the thing that drives me. And um, and I like to – and I'm driven by change. I like to make change. I like to see change, which is why I do this show. Um, this show allows me to meet people who make changes like yourself. And uh, But more importantly, not just make change but actually drive change passionately, madly, mm. um, probably irrationally sometimes. So um, I like to see change, I like to be part of change, I like to be in touch with change, I like to know what changes are occurring. I hate the status quo. I actually can't stand the status quo. So, I mean, I can't live the way your sister lives for argument's sake. Yeah. Um, I can't. It's just the thing. And and the reason I, I, I can't put it down to the I don't know why. My family, my mum and dad were married for a million years. You know, like my brother and sister are like really stable, you're like the same. Um, I don't know why I'm this way. I, I didn't have some weird childhood or anything like that. Uh, I, I can't, I've never been able to work out why, but I just love to see change. I don't like the status quo. I'm always trying to upset the status quo, trying to pick it and, uh, gets me going, yeah. you know, um, you know, keeps me alive. Otherwise the other way, the opposite for me is dead. I love that. Thanks very much. Good to see you again. It was really, really lovely chatting. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.